Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Let's uh, open our Bibles, if you would, then, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10 and verses 1 through 5, we'll read in a bit. We've been talking about miracles for uh, several weeks, and then we've kind of gotten into this subcategory of miracles that we, we see, and I promise this is the last week of it, uh, but, uh, but we've been talking, and again, about this subcategory under miracles, because a large part of the ministry that Jesus did, all you have to do is read the Gospels and see that this is true, is that he dealt with any place where evil was being manifest through the devil, through anything in people's lives, and you know, setting people free from all kinds of bondage in their lives, and so we're so grateful for that. And, and we saw two weeks ago, we saw that uh, though a believer cannot technically be possessed by a demon, there can be certainly influenced and at times even be controlled because a foothold has been given in some way in the past that allows, or maybe a foothold is there because of something someone else has done. It can come both ways. But bottom line is, uh, we see that these things happen and they have to be broken in the life of a believer. And I'm, I, I, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago when I talked about this, I have had footholds in my life that I know. In other words, there weren't demons inside but there were demons attached in such a way that I felt out of control in areas of my life that I needed to deal with. One of the examples I gave was, was dealing with anger and, and having a problem with that, and the Lord really set me free from that. And then uh, last week we talked about the enemy's schemes. He says we're not unaware of his schemes. We showed how he, like a roaring lion, is crouching, if you will, or prowling, roaming to and fro, looking for a way to get an advantage in our lives, and that the greatest defense, we said, was to shut the door and to say no to areas of sin, choose to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and be holy. And we, we said that's, that's you know, how we deal with that. And so today we're just going to kind of uh, finish up this little mini-series within a series by talking a little bit more about how we overcome the enemy. I'm going to give you four, four different uh, ways, really uh, weapons at our disposal that we can use uh, going forward in just a bit. But let's get to our verse. Let's read it from 2 Corinthians 10 starting in verse 1 says, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid, quote unquote, <laughs> when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think we live by the standards of this world. Let me just stop and talk about that a little bit for a moment. Paul is letting the Corinthians know that he's aware that someone has been stirring the pot. You know what I'm talking about? Someone in the church in Corinth has been kind of talking uh, smack about Paul and saying he's, he's all, you know, he acts like a tough guy when he's away, but he's not so, so tough when he's face to face. And that's why he's, he's kind of speaking in a mocking tone to them when he says, oh, I'm so timid, am I? And, and uh, so he's letting him know that when he gets back, it's, 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 uh, he'll be as strong as he needs to be. But, but he also, what he's doing as he talks about this is he says, when attacks like this come, and hey, by the way, we all face attacks, don't we? So when attacks come in your life, he said he, he's going to begin to transition here and say there's more than meets the eye when it comes to attacks. There are other forces at work, and we not only have to be aware of them, but we must fight against them, listen to me, on a spiritual level. 
You cannot fight, uh, you, can, you fight flesh with flesh, but you fight spirit with spirit. You have to be on a spiritual level when you fight. So continuing then, he's saying, again, some people think that we live by the standards of this world, continuing now in verse 3, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war. That's, a, that's an intense statement, right? <laughs> wage war. In other words, Paul is letting us know there's, there's a war raging around us. Whether you think so or not, it's happening And it's happening on a spiritual realm. So he says, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power, I love this, to demolish. Ooh, that's a great strong word. Strongholds, thank God. And he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Church, whether you like it or not, we are in a war. We are in a supernatural war, but we have been given divine weapons by God, supernatural weapons that, get, that they have divine power. And so for a few moments today, I just want to talk about some of the key weapons. There are many, and it would take a long time. I promise I won't uh, give you all, but there are many that we could talk about. But let me tell you four key weapons that we'll have at our disposal today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises we read in your word. And, and thank you, Lord, that, that even though there is a war waging around us, that there's no need for us to fear or to be faint of heart by any stretch because greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. We thank you that we have authority, that we have a, a place to stand that is firm, a rock of our salvation on whom we can base our life and our trust. And so going forward, God, we pray that you would help us to be strong. And just as our veterans have been so gracious to stand in the gap for us in terms of our, our, our country and those things of the world. Lord, may we be those who would be willing to stand in the gap for others in a spiritual battle to do war as needed, God, against the powers of darkness that would seek to destroy people's lives and hearts and souls. God, we ask for help in this battle and wisdom in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen again. Amen. amen. All right. So, um, this might be a crazy question to ask, but how many of you have ever fallen asleep at the wheel of the car before? Anybody? Wow! <laughs> Isn't that frightening? We had like about five, six hands on it, you know, and so that's, a, that's very scary. Well, my hand was up, not because I was asking, but because it actually happened to me once. And uh, I'll tell you what, that shook the living daylights out of me when that happened. But, uh, and some of you may have heard me tell this story before, but it was back when I was, in, uh, I was uh, 19 years of age. I was living in Portland at the time. I had been down to the Roseburg area, uh, and I hadn't, uh, I hadn't met Rhonda by this time yet. But um, anyway, it was... Pre, pre-Ronda in my life, which she, she changed everything and made everything wonderful, of course. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, I was staying and hanging out with a friend down in the Roseburg area, and then uh, I stayed up way too late, and I had to be to work the next morning at 6 in the morning. Somehow I got out of bed. I knew it was about a three-hour drive to Portland, and so I left at 2.33 in the morning and started driving and on about like two hours of sleep. That, that's already just stupid right there. So I'm driving along, and uh, if you've ever driven I-5 between uh, Eugene, Oregon, and Salem, Oregon, uh, they could land uh, a thousand airplanes in a line on that stretch of, of road because it goes straight forever, and it is as boring as it can possibly be. There's like hay fields and a few things, but there's, there's just not much to keep your interest. So I'm driving along, and the, the, I had this little bitty economy car, and I'm just driving, and, and it was, there was nobody on the road, and it was dark. And, I, I, and so, I'm, you know, all I can say is I, I'm, I, I started to have this dream 
that I was in bed and someone was shaking me to wake me up, <laughs> you know, just like, wake up, wake up, wake up. And so all of a sudden, uh, I do wake up. And as soon as I open my eyes, all I could see literally was the grass as high as my little car was just whipping past the car. And I'm just like noise and jumping up and down and bouncing. And there's just, you know, I had, you know, my first reaction was that something had eaten me. You know, it was like, <laughs> I, it was horrible. And then I realized, oh, I'm off the road. And I, I, I didn't know where I was, though. I didn't know because the grass was so high I couldn't see anything. But somewhere out of the corner of my eye, I kind of saw like a, a, a straight dark black thing up to my right there even though it was early in the morning there was some light and so I I looked up in the moonlight there saw that and I turned my wheel and I gra gradually made my way back up and I had drifted down into the middle part of the, the median between the freeways which praise God uh, there's so many places if you watch that stretch of road where there could be like abutments and bridges and different kinds of things uh, the other thing I could have done was gone all the way across into oncoming traffic I mean I just you just think about what a what a gracious God and I just you know I stayed awake the rest of the trip, no doubt. Um, but uh, all of that to just say that, um, you know, driving and being on a highway is a great thing, isn't it? Isn't it? What a wonderful privilege it is to do that. And it's really good as long as you stay on the road. But how many know there are ditches on both sides of the road? And when it comes to this discussion of spiritual warfare and what the enemy is doing, you know, there are those who can get over into a ditch over here that's very dangerous where you just focus on what the enemy is doing all the time and you think that's what it's all about. And there's those over here who would live in some sort of denial as if there is no spiritual realm, there's nothing going on. And neither one of those is helpful or healthy in any way. And so I want to encourage us as we just go into these things in just a moment here to think about staying in the road. Is that okay? Be safe in the middle of the road and uh, don't deny and don't uh, magnify, if that's all right. Okay. So, so uh, when we were y younger and we had our, our kids were little, especially the, for me, the older ones, Abraham was too little at this time, but when they were probably like, I don't know, uh, five and uh, seven years old in that range in there, every night before my kids would go to bed, I would come in and pray. Well, I always prayed with them anyway, but the, it, around that range, there was a time when I'd come in and every night I'd say, hey guys, let's put on the armor of God. And they, you know, they go, yeah. And so we actually pretended in their bedroom, like we were putting on uh, bits of armor. We'd say, okay, let's put on the helmet of salvation. And then we're going to uh, uh, put on the uh, breastplate of righteousness. And we'd pretend we were putting that on. And I I'd just talk them through everyone. And we'd kind of pray through that. And we'd go through the armor of God. And um, so, so, but just before the armor of God is listed there, and uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says this, watch this, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, we might react to a verse like this in, in different ways, in a number of ways. Some of us, again, might want to go to the side of the road where we want to just sweep that kind of stuff under the carpet and say there's nothing to it, but others seem to almost relish. And, and like to, to dwell on stuff like that. And I think both things are very dangerous. But we want to stay balanced in all of this. And so on the one hand, we think we have this scientific, r rational explanation for everything. And, uh, you know, it reminds me when um, my brother used to be a police officer down in Roseburg, and I used to ride with him. And one time we went out on this call 
<coughs> and uh, he was showing off, by the way. He went way too fast. There was no need for him to drive that fast. But anyway, so uh, we got to the call, and somebody said that uh, this guy was uh, bleeding, and I thought, oh, man, this is going to be terrible. So we pull up, and there's a guy sitting on a short wall by a, a convenience store, and he's just sitting there, and he's just, I, I, could, I sat in the car while my brother went out and dealt with him, but there was just blood all dripping down his arms. Well, apparently the guy had been cutting himself, and so we, we went, oh, man, what's going on? And, and so we started talking to him. We asked him, we asked him uh, what's your name? He said, my name's Bill. And I said, okay, Bill. Um, and, and so here I am in the car, and I'm a pastor, and my brother's a cop. And so my, my brother's asking a few questions, and I thought, why not? I'll just ask a few questions. So I said, hey, hey, Bill, uh, what's going on? How come you're doing this? How come you're cutting yourself? And he says, it's because Harold told me to. And I said, well, well who's Harold? And he said, he's a black tornado. And I said, okay. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm a pastor, and I'd like to pray for you. You know, as we're driving to the hospital, um, he's bandaged up, and we're, he's in the back of the car. It wasn't something that the ambulance needed to take him. So we, we, we're driving along, and I just start praying for him. And he, after I finished praying, he said, he said do, do they put pastors in all the cop cars now? <laughs> and I said, no, no. <laughs> They probably should, but no, probably not. I don't know. But anyway, so we, we got to the hospital, and when we got in there, we, they allowed me to go into the hospital room with him because I was, you know, coming along with my brother. And uh, he pulled up his shirt, and he had carved an H into his stomach uh, for Harold. And, it, and, and so you started talking. This black tornado, in his description, was commanding him and telling him what to do and telling him to take his life. Folks, that's just, not, you know, we might want to say, well, that's just, we could be on the rational side in the ditch and say, that's just mental illness. This guy is crazy, right? Okay. And, uh, or on the other side, we could think it's all over here. But I'm going to tell you, there was definitely demonic forces at work in this guy, and that needed to be dealt with, and, and though I wasn't able to follow up on that, uh, you know, it's something I've prayed about and prayed for him uh, since then. So, um, so let me quickly give you these four primary ways that we can have divine power to help us demolish strongholds and arguments, take thoughts captive in Jesus' name. Are you ready? Are you taking notes? Might be a good idea. Uh, you want to know this stuff. All right. The first is this. It's the cross and the blood. I've, I've kind of put these and lumped them together as they basically represent the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. And listen, when the sinless Son of God was crucified, Satan's defeat was assured. It was absolutely assured. Let's look at, in fact, I'm going to have you read these two verses with me from uh, Colossians. One is from chapter 1 and one from chapter 2. Let's do them together out loud. Ready? Go. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And the second one, go. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He disarmed them. He made a spectacle of them. He triumphed over them. Could you say hallelujah to that? Isn't that amazing? Thank you, God. Now, scholars are agreed that when it talks about powers and authorities, these are spiritual and not governmental powers and authorities. There are, of course, uh, government authority and power, but there is a spiritual level of power and authority. So understanding the freedom um, over Satan has to start with knowing that on the cross, Jesus rescued us from that dominion of darkness and as well as from all of our sins. You see, he was doing more than just battling for our sins on the cross. He was all, it's the big three S's I mentioned before. It's, the, it's dealing with sin, with Satan, and with sickness. He dealt with all that stuff on the cross. Thank God for that. And so 
So uh, this doesn't mean, listen, uh, and by the way, I'm not opposed if you're wearing a cross or a crucifix. Uh, I'm not opposed to that. But I don't want anybody to think that wearing something like that is somehow going to protect you from the enemy. Okay, that is, that is the folklore of really B movies and crazy kinds of things. This isn't, we're not talking about having a good luck charm. I'm not talking about a physical cross that you hang on your wall or on, you know, this isn't an idol that we look at. We don't bow down to idols. We don't look at that as having any power of its own, but what it represents for us has immense and, and incredible power. The power of the cross is, is the very thing. He triumphed over them by the cross over all the works of the enemy. So again, if you wear something, that's fine uh, as an understanding of just to remind you of what the reality is, not that the thing in itself will save you in some way. Making sense? Okay. So, so when I first got saved back in 1973, I used to uh, hear a lot of people say uh, that they would pray and then they'd get to a place in their prayer and they'd say this phrase that I didn't understand at all at first. They said, I plead the blood of Jesus. And then they'd go on with their prayer. And I always thought, well, that's such a strange saying. It confused me at first. But then I began to understand uh, at least the implications of it over time as I heard people use this phrase. Pleading the blood of Jesus is a term. It's not necessarily in Scripture, but it is an idea, I think, that is found in Scripture. But it carries the idea of a legal term. It's like a lawyer pleading a case before a judge. And he, pre he presents the evidence and, he, and the facts to, to support his case. And so in our case, the courtroom is this. The devil is called the accuser of the brothers and sisters, all right? In fact, it says in Revelation that he accuses us day and night before God. He's like always got something bad to say. He's got some kind of bad thing to say about you and me before God. He's going up there all the time trying to talk to God and, and, and trying to tell God that we're no good. And, you know, i got to tell you, your Father in heaven never listens to a word he says. <laughs> but uh, praise God. But what it says is that um, he is there you know, trying to do. And so what we are answering when we plead the blood, we're saying, I plead innocent against those charges. Not that I haven't sinned, mind you, but I plead innocent against those charges by virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ that took away all my sins. See, see, I still sin, but, but, but I am seen by God as completely clean and forgiven, so nothing can be held to my account anymore in the court of, of heavenly law, if you will. And so this, this amazing, the blood also gives us this authority and dominion to resist Satan and, uh, and put him uh, out of all the affairs of our lives and all of our family. We just take authority over him by the cross and by the blood of Jesus Christ. And every day, you and I have a right to exercise that authority by pleading his blood and his, through his death on the cross that was done for us. Refuse to give the enemy one more inch of territory in your life or in your family's territory. Satan is a defeated foe, and, though, and through the precious blood of Jesus, we are victorious. Amen? Amen. Revelation uh, 12, 11, this is from the New American Standard updated version, but it says they overcame him, speaking of the devil, by, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life, even when faced with death. Amazing. Thank you, God, for the blood of Jesus. That's a good one to remember, right? So overcome by the blood. Second, overcome by the word, the authority of the word of God. I had you read those passages earlier with me because I want to point out to you that, that I really believe 
that speaking the word of God, and uh, again, this isn't some like magic words that we're trying to quote as if we're trying to, you know, we, if we just say the right words. No, no. We're, what we're doing is we're referring to the word of God, which is living and it's active. It's a powerful sword, the Bible says. And so, so we're talking about uh, taking authority through the word of God. And what Jesus commands that he gave to his disciples, those have become part of, of our commands as well. Again, this idea in Ephesians 6 that I went through with my kids, the armor is, when people talk about it, a lot of times they talk about, well, you've got your feet covered, you've got your, your uh, breastplate, you've got the belt of truth, you've got the helmet of salvation, you've got the shield of faith, you've got all these different things, and all of those are, and people will make a big point, these are all defensive weapons, right? Okay, and there's there's one particular weapon though. It's the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. By the way, there's a there's another offensive weapon that's mentioned, and it's because in our Bibles there's a paragraph separation. We don't think it's connected, but it says, and it follows by that, and it says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with every kind of prayer. So praying in the spirit becomes another offensive weapon. But listen to me, even though there's all this defensive weapons, does not mean we're in a defensive posture. It just means we're covered when we go to war. <laughs> and the, but here's the deal. The Word of God is enough to go to war and to do what needs to be done. And, and uh, you know, it, they sometimes, it, it says in the Bible that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, right? But, and, and people have made a big point of this, and I think it's true. Have you ever seen gates attack anybody before? Right? Who's doing the attacking? They won't prevail against us. They won't be able to stand up against us because we're on the offensive. So don't think because many of the weapons are, sound like they're defensive, that means that we're to remain in a defensive posture. To the contrary, that's, it covers us when we go to battle, so we will be able to do what we need to do. But here's this offensive weapon, this big one that it talks about. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so... So, you know, this is a, there's many different ways, and using the right word at the right time, the, the, even it, let me say, I, I'm terrible at memorization. I, I, I hate to confess that, but I'm just not very good at it. I used to be good when I was younger. Uh, I, I memorized uh, for a contest once, I think I memorized 73 scripture verses, and uh, one of them was Jesus wept, so that, no, <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> That's always an easy one. Uh, anyway. But I, I used to be better when I was younger. It's harder for me as I get older. Um, but the, here's the thing. Even though you cannot, don't think you have to memorize word for word. And if you got one word out of place, oh, sorry, no good. It's, it's not the idea that memorizing the exact wording of it. It's memorizing the thought and the intent of it and at least having it in your heart so that when an attack comes, you use that sword in a powerful way and in a discerning way. It's, it's cutting between bone and marrow. It's cutting tenderly and, and perfectly. It's scalpel accuracy with this great sharp sword of the Spirit. Are you, are you tracking with me? So we're going after these things, and you don't, don't worry that maybe you don't have everything exactly memorized, although thank God for Awana, thank God our kids are memorizing like massive piles of Scripture, because someday, even now though, it will serve them so well to go into the future. But can I tell you, you can memorize the entire book, but if you don't know how to apply it, you haven't really got a sword. Okay, just making sure you got that. So, so the freedom that Christ came to bring over the enemy, he wants us to administer. Luke 10, 19 says this, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. The snakes and the scorpions are not from the animal kingdom, but they are representatives of the kingdom of darkness. Do you see that there? And then Re Romans 16, 19, 20 
Paul says this, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Did you catch whose feet? You, you understand what I'm saying? Does that sound like we're in a defensive posture? No, we're doing some stomping on the kingdom of darkness as we advance with the sword of the Spirit in our hands. We have authority through the Word of God. Believe it, believe it. You know, we've already prayed for and thanked our, those who served in the military today. But you know, when they, when they go to battle or when they wear their uniforms, there's always a patch. I may have the wrong side. I don't remember. But there's always a patch someplace that identifies them as belonging to the U.S., of America. You know what I'm saying? The United States of America. There's a connection there that this is, that they come in the authority and in the name of the United States when they go out to battle. And they don't do it uh, under their own authority, but under, go under uh, the government authority, if you will. And we're a grateful nation for those who have served that way. But in the same way as believers, we stand in the gap for others by going to war and understanding that we carry the, that, that incredible word of God with us and the name of Jesus, which is our next point. So the blood, the word, and now the name of Jesus. Back in 1981, about a month before Ron and I got married, I was at her, her uh, mom and dad's house and the TV was on. And I, it seemed like to me, and I may be wrong about this, but it was in the afternoon and I remember that a news bulletin came on the TV, which was on, no doubt, to some Western show that her dad loves to watch. He's a big fan of John Wayne. He'll still watch those shows, you know. He watches John Wayne as much as I watch Star Wars, right? <laughs> Maybe more, okay. So, uh, but anyway, each generation to their own, right? So anyway, he, uh, he, uh, he's watching some show. I don't remember. We were doing, I don't remember what Ron and I are doing, probably getting ready for our wedding, which is about a month away. And then a, a news bulletin comes on the TV, and immediately they said, we have breaking news, President Reagan has just been shot. And, and I just heard those words, and it kind of stunned me. I just, you know, and, and, but also at the same time as I'm being stunned, I hear my mother-in-law immediately blurt out in a very loud voice, Jesus, like that. And, I, and, it, and it's weird because I'm processing what they're saying on TV, but at the same time, I'm making kind of a mental note. Why wasn't my reaction the same reaction? Why, why didn't I think... Because I, I loved that about her. I loved that the first thing she thought of was the name of Jesus in that moment. She just spoke it out. And I thought, I made that mental note in my mind. I thought, that's the way I want to respond when I see tragedy, when I see something important happen, when I see something big going down. I want to just, you know, when I, and, and I do find myself more and more just seeing things and, and just, what else can you say but the beautiful name of Jesus? She spoke his name first, and I liked that. When Jesus cast out demons, which he did a lot of, you know that, he did it in his own authority. He didn't have to say, I command you to come out in my name, uh, because it was him doing the, uh, the casting out, right? But, but when he left, he also left us his name. And with that name, he left us his authority. And so when we do anything, we do it in the name of Jesus Christ. We do it under his authority. Again, this kind of relates back to what I was saying at the end of the last point, that the military goes out in the name of the United States. We go out in the name of Jesus Christ. And we go out to do the work that needs to be done. And there's so much power. Oh, man, there's so much power in the name of Jesus. Again, it's not like a magic word. It's not like saying abracadabra and some gate's going to open or something like that. It is because we have a relationship with the one whose name it belongs to. 
So, so, so it's not like, a, and a lot of times we finish prayers and we say in the name of Jesus Christ, and, and I think sometimes we, we just think that's kind of like being on a CB radio and saying 10-4, you know, <laughs> over and out, something like that. We're just, you know, we're not talking anymore, so we're done, so the last thing you always say is Jesus Christ. But I want us to think a little bit more purposefully. I'm not saying stop saying it. I'm saying, remember when you're saying that at the end of a prayer, all the stuff you just prayed, you're saying, let that all be done, not by my power, but, but in the name of Jesus Christ, who has the power to do it. You catch what I'm saying? So let's be more cognitive of the fact because there is great power and potential in that wonderful name. Every time a miracle was done in the book of Acts, you can go back read through the book of Acts, it was always done in the name of Jesus Christ. Case in point, when, when uh, he went to, uh, Peter and John went out and they helped the lame man up who was begging by the gate, and they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And every single time, the name of Jesus and Christ was attached to that as well. Only one time in the whole book of Acts did anyone try to cast out a demon and, or to do any miracle or work in, in the name, but not use the whole phrase, Jesus Christ. And that what happens to be, uh, in Acts 19, there's these seven guys named, uh, that are the sons of one man named Sceva. So they're called the sons of Sceva. Seven of them saw other people casting out demons and doing all these great works in Jesus' name. And so they came along and they said, hey, we want to do that too. So they found a man who was demon-possessed, and they came up and they said, and listen how they word this, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, because Paul was preaching, right? Come out. We command you to come out. And the Bible tells us that that one man began to beat those seven men within an inch of their lives, and they were all sent away bleeding and naked after that encounter. They had absolutely no authority using the name of Jesus because they didn't know who Jesus was. And, they did, and, it, and I'm not saying, again, that, well, you better always use the name Jesus Christ. The point I'm making is that they didn't really know who he was. They said, well, that Jesus who Paul preaches, that seems like a good word to use here in this situation. They didn't understand his power. They didn't have him living inside them. They had no authority, and they were the ones that were sent away bleeding and naked. So if we use the name of Jesus, we have to be in relationship with him. Otherwise, again, we're thinking it's some magic word. Years ago, I heard a story. Uh, anybody remember Paul Harvey? Did you, I know it's been a long time, but he used to be the greatest. Uh, man, why, we need some news guys like that guy. He would just make you feel so uplifted. Even if you, crummy things were going on, he'd always have some good word to share, something neat going on, and uh, he was encouraging. But he was a news commentator, died some years ago. But I remember hearing a story that he told about a three-year-old boy who went to a grocery store with his mother. And he said before they entered, she had in no uncertain terms told him, whatever you do, do not ask me for chocolate chip cookies because I'm not buying any chocolate chip cookies and you're not going to get any, so don't even ask. So she puts him in the child seat on the cart and begins to wheel him through the store. And uh, they went up and down the aisles and he was doing fine until they went by the cookie section. Right? And as soon as they went by the cookie section, he, he said, uh, Mom, can I have some chocolate chip cookies? And she said, I told you not to ask. You're not going to get any at all. They continued down some other aisles, but, and they began to search for some other things, and she realized she'd forgotten something. Guess what? She had to go past again. She goes past the cookies again. Mom, can I please have some chocolate chip cookies? She said, no, I told you don't ask. And, and so everybody, you know, he's going, and finally they get to the check-in out line, and 
and they're up by the register, and he realized his moment for, for chocolate chip cookies was passing. He wasn't going to get them. And so he, he stood up in the cart at this point, and he said, he said, Mom, in the name of Jesus, can I have some chocolate chip cookies? And, of course, all the people in the, you know, he said it so loud, everybody in the lines just started roaring with laughter, and they all went and bought him chocolate chip cookies. And he, he went out with 23 boxes of chocolate chip cookies that day, so... So to use the name of Jesus in the right way, and that works. Our fourth and final point is um, one in which I need help from our worship team, so come on up, guys. The last point is this, a great weapon, perhaps the most powerful weapon we have at our disposal is the weapon of praise and worship. I mean, you th- think back to your Bibles. Think about the... Think about the examples, and, and I'll just name a few, but think about how uh, there are people sent out to walk around the walls of Jericho and be silent, but on the last day, they were told to lift up a great shout, and the sounds of the ram's horns went off, and they began to shout, and through all of that, the walls came down, and they were victorious as they lifted up a shout of triumph. Remember the story of Gideon. He had a tiny little, well, he started out with 30,000 soldiers, but God just said, no, nah, you've got too many, you've got too many. He finally works him down to 300 soldiers. And uh, they're going against a vast army, much, much larger than them. But, but what happens is, is he, he uh, just listens to God and does what God says because God wanted to make sure that when the victory came that, that everybody would know it was God that did it, not Gideon. So they get around the camp of the Midianites and they are out there and they, they, they had some torches and they had some jars. And so all at once they crash their jars, they light their torches. But then it says when they began to lift up a shout that the Midianites were thrown into confusion and they basically decimated themselves. And all they had to do was shout praise to God and God took care of it. I know you're familiar with the story of Jehoshaphat and how there was, again, five armies coming against him, a little, little uh, at that time, a smaller tribe of Judah. They, they didn't have very many warriors. They had a pretty good choir, I guess, in those days. And so I don't know where he got this crazy idea, but he says, hey, we're going to send the singers out in front of the army, and, uh, like you're on the choir. Uh, I think I'll go ahead and join the army now <laughs> instead of be on the choir, if you don't mind. But he says, no, we're sending the singers out. And they just began to sing the same refrain over and over again, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. The Lord is good, and his love, and they're just marching along, heading toward what would be an absolute, they would, they, you would think in all earthly ways that they would be decimated by these five opposing armies. So vast amounts of people against them, armies. And they just kept singing over and over, the Lord is good. And it says that God just sent uh, just a sound of just a huge tumult. Everybody went into a panic, and not, not one of them was left. They were wiped out. It took them three days to just pick up the leftover goodies from the camp of these Midianites who had either fled or died uh, killing themselves. New Testament, Paul and Silas, they're in jail in the middle of the night. It's about midnight. They're, they're in wooden stocks, which were meant to just spread you out and, and, and be in so much discomfort. It was cold. It was no doubt damp. And, and they're sitting in that jail, and Paul says, Silas, I feel a hymn coming on. Let's just sing a little bit here. And they begin to sing hymns to God at midnight, though they've been beaten within an inch of their lives, though they're being stretched out in these stocks, and though they're chained up, and though it's cold and wet, they begin to sing praises to God at midnight. And all of a sudden, as one 
Bible college professor said that God heard the rhythm of that sound, began to tap his foot a little bit on planet Earth. And when he did, because the Earth is his footstool, you know. And he said when, when, when that began to happen, I'm making all that part up, but what did happen is a great earthquake came, but it was a very selective earthquake because everything shook. But when it shook, only the prison doors opened. Nobody was hurt in the shaking. No, no, you know, nobody was crushed. And not only that, their stalks came off because of the earthquake. That's a cool earthquake, don't you think? So we see over and over again how in the Bible that praising and worshiping God is such a powerful weapon that defeats the enemy, that sets captives free. Many times in the Psalms there's a connection between praise and, and, uh, and winning against the enemy. In fact, I want us to read again the Scripture, and I'm going to give us two verses to read this time. One from Psalm 9, 1 through 3. Let's read this together. Go. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. Come on. There's power in Jesus. And through worshiping Him. And that's what's happening here. He's praising Him. And he says, when I rejoice before you, my enemies turn away. And then Psalm 68, 1-4. Let's read it together. Go. May God arise. May His enemies be scattered. May His foes flee before Him. May you blow them away like smoke, as wax melts before the fire. May the wicked perish before God. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Sing to God. Sing in praise of His name. Extol Him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before Him. His name is the Lord. What miracle do you need in your life? What mountain do you need moved? What stronghold do you need broken? What act of the enemy that's been going on do you need to put an end to? It's time for us to rise up as overcomers. Let's stand together. Rise as overcomers today. We're made in Christ to overcome. They overcame Him again by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. It's time for us to use any and all of the weapons. And by the way, this is uh, four major ones, but there are so many other weapons that are available to us. The promises of God are replete with, with time after time the victory that is promised to the people of God. It's time for us to use those weapons to walk in triumph. And it's time to have and live in the victory that Jesus has won for us. Do you agree, church? Yeah. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.